Okay, Galatians chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 10 to begin with. Then we'll talk about it a little bit. Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Paul writes, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along also. I went up because of a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders, so that I might not be running or have run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. This issue arose because of false brothers smuggled in who came in secretly to spy on our freedom that we have in the Messiah, Yeshua, in order to enslave us. But we did not yield in submission to these people for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain for you. But from those recognized as important, what they really were makes no difference to me. The Almighty does not show favoritism. Those recognized as important added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. For he who was at work with Peter in the apostleship to the circumcised was also at work with me among the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. May Yahweh bless this word to our hearts today. In our last lesson, I talked about the truth of the gospel and how Paul did not back down from that truth even for one hour. He stood firm in the face of some of the Judahites who wanted to force Titus the Greek to be circumcised. These brothers, or as Paul calls them, false brothers, believed that Titus was not saved by faith in Yeshua while he was uncircumcised. They believed that he did not have a right standing with the Almighty, nor should he be looked upon as being equal with those in Judah who were circumcised. Now, I don't want you to forget the big picture. And this is why, brothers and sisters, this is why we study books of the Bible as a whole. It's because you begin to see a big picture that you cannot see if you only quote snippets of the Bible at a time. Paul is writing all of this here in Galatians 2. What we just read, he is writing all of this to Galatian Gentile believers in the Messiah. The Galatians of that time were getting off track of the gospel and they were beginning to fall into the trap of those who pushed and forced physical circumcision for salvation. Paul had already told them in chapter 1, he said, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from Him who called you by the grace of the Messiah and are turning to a different gospel. Now, I want you to understand this, brothers and sisters. The Galatians were not just believing in circumcision. That's not what Paul was upset about. It wasn't like they read and studied the Scriptures and they decided circumcision is a commandment, it's a good commandment, and then Paul bashed them for that. No, not at all. Paul was circumcised himself on the eighth day, as a matter of fact, much more than most people that are circumcised today. There's nothing wrong with circumcision and there's nothing wrong with being circumcised. As I talked about last week, there would be nothing wrong for Titus the Greek to decide to be circumcised. 
But there is an enormous problem with thinking something that you believe. We heard that talked about in testimony service. There is an enormous problem with thinking that the act of circumcision is what saves you from your sins and places you in right standing with the Almighty. The reason that is such a big problem, please catch this. The reason it's such a big problem is that it removes your trust off of Yeshua the Messiah and it places your trust in a work of the law. If your trust is not in Yeshua, the perfect Lamb, the one who never sinned, if your trust is not in Him, you are still dead in your trespasses and your sins. Well, see, the Galatians were heading in this direction. They were caving in to the pressure that some of the Judahites had put on them. Paul had taught them during his missionary travels, the Galatian Gentiles, But some of the Judahites who said that they believed in the Messiah, once again, they said they believed in the Messiah. Remember, Paul calls them, what? False brothers. They were stirring up this controversy. They were going behind Paul's preaching and stirring up a controversy, stirring up dissension and discord in the body of the Messiah. And they were saying something like this. You Gentiles aren't really in the faith unless you get circumcised. Your sins haven't really been forgiven. You want to be one of us? then take upon yourselves our mark. Because until then, you don't have salvation. And you're second class. You're a heathen Gentile. See, sometimes you can hear the truth and you can believe the truth. And you can be thankful for the truth. But then as time goes by, somebody else comes along and causes you to question that truth. And instead of going back to your foundation... You jump on a bandwagon because somebody pressures you or forces you to believe something. Brothers and sisters, take time to research matters out before you jump on board with any and every teaching that comes down the pike. And let me tell you, there are a dime a dozen nowadays. We live in a have-it-now age where people think that something gets outdated after it circulates for 24 to 48 hours. They act like it's old news after it's two days old. But just because someone comes along and makes something sound good doesn't mean it is good. There are many people in the world today, in the church world, that are only interested in stirring up controversy, just like these Judahite brothers, false brothers. And they are interested in stirring up that controversy in order to draw away disciples for their self. They have a spirit that I like to call the spirit of Diotrephes. The spirit of Diotrephes in one of the smaller epistles of John is a spirit of loving to have the preeminence and loving to have everybody look at them. They're something. They're the only ones you can come to. They're the only ones you can talk to. They're the only ones that you can get counsel from. That's a bad spirit. It's a spirit of Diotrephes. It's not a good thing. One of the things that Yahweh hates is he that soweth discord among brethren. Proverbs 6, verse 19. And I'm a shepherd here, not only to feed the sheep, but also to drive away the wolves. Amen? Amen. Is that not the job of an actual natural shepherd? In Acts 10, verses 28 through 30, Paul told the elders at Ephesus, this is what he said. Acts 10, 28 through 30, if you take notes. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock 
That's the congregation over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of Yahweh which He purchased with His own blood. Brothers and sisters, if you are a sheep of Yahweh, Yahweh purchased you with His own blood. That's priceless, isn't it? That's priceless. Paul goes on to say, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and men from among yourselves will rise up with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. And I'm telling you to avoid these people. They're like a spiritual disease to your well-being in the Messiah. Influencers that creep into a flock, wolves in sheep's clothing, just like these false brothers in Galatians 2, they always, always, always have a contrary agenda. They are never satisfied with leadership in the congregation. They always have a critical spirit and they always try to lead without leading by spreading division and planting seeds of dissension in the body of the Messiah. Paul spoke of such people in Romans 16 verse 17 when he said, Now I implore you brothers, watch out for those who cause dissensions and pitfalls contrary to the doctrine you have learned and avoid them. Now I believe that this is what Paul is warning the believers in Galatia about. These false brothers, they crept in unawares and they told the Galatian Gentiles, you're not really saved until you get circumcised. And those false brothers were wolves from the pits of hell. But, and this astounds me, people were then, at that time, people were jumping off of trusting in Yeshua to trusting in circumcision for salvation. Now, I guess that it shouldn't astound me because as humans, we want to feel like we have something to do with our salvation. We want to feel like our effort is what makes us right with Yahweh. We're better than the next person because of something we did. Or we're better than the next person because of who we are or who we think we are genetically or in our genealogy. And it makes a human feel pride to be able to look down his or her nose at the next person. But oh, what a tangle web we weave when first we practice to deceive. We start placing our trust in who we are naturally or on one thing that we do instead of on everything that the Messiah did. And we deceive ourselves if we do that and we fall away from grace. And we will never, ever, ever have salvation if we're trusting in a work that we do instead of trusting in the one who didn't just do one work, but who did all of the good works, all of the time, never sinning from birth to death. That is Yeshua, the Lamb of Yahweh. He qualified to be the Lamb. He was perfect and sinless. No blemishes. You're looking at a man today that's preaching to you that's got many blemishes and many faults and have sinned in many ways. But if Yeshua was here, you're looking at a man who never sinned. Neither was guile found in his mouth. And you are saved because of his perfect righteousness. His obedience to the law of Yahweh is the only one that will save you because it's the only one that does not have a flaw in it. You can look, you can examine it, you can get the biggest magnifying glass out that you can find and you won't find one burr 
in His righteousness. You won't find one bird. Even the things that He did not have to do, He did to fulfill all righteousness. He didn't need to be baptized, but He said, allow it, John. Suffer it to be so that we fulfill all righteousness. Now, I want to pick this back up today with Galatians 2, verse 6, which on the surface seems like it's contradictory to what we covered in Galatians 2, verse 2. Remember in verse 2, Paul went privately. When he went to Jerusalem, he didn't go busting up in that city telling everybody what he preached. The Bible says he went in private to the elders of Jerusalem and discussed the matter that he was preaching with them to make sure that what? He wasn't running in vain. He wasn't preaching for naught. And I took an entire message to show that Paul respected that Jerusalem authority. Paul honored the brothers who had believed in Yeshua before he did. But now in verse 6, it sounds like on the surface, on the surface, that he's throwing off on them. Let's look at that again, verse 6. But from those recognized as important, what they really were makes no difference to me. The Almighty does not show favoritism. Those recognized as important added nothing to me. Now, once again, you can read that in one way. That sounds like he's just dismissing the Jerusalem elders. Those recognized as important. Not really worried about them. They didn't add nothing to me. No big deal. That's one way you can read it. And he is definitely talking about the Jerusalem congregation here. He mentions the leaders in verse 2, and he also mentions them again in verse 9. And in verse 2, he speaks highly of them. And in verse 9, he calls them pillars. We'll talk about that here in a second. So, what do we do here with this? Well, we get to practice a particular method in Bible interpretation. We have a verse in Galatians 2.2 that shows that Paul respected the Jerusalem leadership so much that he had a private meeting with them to discuss his gospel teaching to the Gentiles. And then in Galatians 2.9, he calls them pillars. That's a reference to a stone that holds something up. And we also saw in the first sermon that I taught through Galatians chapter 2, we saw many biblical parallels to Galatians 2 verse 2 about respecting leadership authority. I'll just quote one. I went through several verses. I'll quote one here as a reminder. And that's in Hebrews 13 and 17 where the author writes, quote, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So, whenever you study a subject in the Bible and you run into verse after verse after verse after verse that teaches something very plainly and simply, and then all of a sudden you come to a verse that looks like on the surface that it moves into another direction, never interpret the many in light of the one, interpret the one in light of the many. If you have a hundred verses over here saying one thing and then you've got one, somebody brings you all of a sudden and says, but what about this? What about this? Don't dismiss the hundred. Don't say, well, those hundred must not mean what they say. <coughs> Harmonize the one with the one hundred, not the one hundred with the one. So what do we make out of Galatians 2 verse 6? Well, here's what I think that the Apostle Paul is, is doing here in Galatians 2 verse 6. Listen carefully. I think that Paul is throwing off on the false brothers that he mentioned just previously. Those false brothers, they believed that they were on the side of James, Peter, and John. They believed they had their backing. And Paul, you're not really an apostle. As a matter of fact, 
you were a murderer of the Messianic believers before you came to the faith. So we're not listening to you. We have the backing of Peter, James, and John. In other words, the false brothers were acting like you need to conform with us. And when they said us, they didn't just mean us here that crept in, but they meant us and the original apostles. And Paul was saying this, no, listen to me, listen to me. You're trying to bring up my past to discredit me. You ever had anybody do that to you or to somebody that you know? People, a lot of times, even if they meet you in your new birth state, in your new creation state, they will try to discredit you because of something that you have done in your past. And I think that's what these false brothers were doing with the Apostle Paul. And Paul was saying, you try to bring up my past to discredit me, I could bring up the past of these other men too, James, Peter, and John. But whatever these men were before they came to the Messiah is no different than who I was before I came to the Messiah. In other words, we were all lost before we believed in the Messiah. Paul is not saying that their leadership authority makes no difference to him. He is rather saying that what they were emphasis on the past tense of the word were, or where they came from, makes no difference to him. In other words, it shouldn't make any difference to you false brothers where I came from because of where I'm at now. And therefore, I'm not going to bring up where these men were because of where they're at now. Yahweh does not show favoritism, Paul says in this regard. Yahweh can call a fisherman, a tax collector, a carpenter, a septic tank man, Yahweh can even call an anti-Messiah disciple at the feet of Gamaliel, like Shaul. What we all were is not what's important. It's what we all are now in the Messiah that's important. And so Paul writes this to let his audience know they should not be concerned about his past life because he's not concerned about what these other brothers were. Don't compare them with him or him with them. And then when he says at the end of verse 6, they added nothing to me, he's not saying that James, Peter, and John didn't have any spiritual understanding or any spiritual insight. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that I could care less what they told me. He's only saying that they agreed with him on his gospel to the Gentiles. They added nothing to me meant they were in agreements with my message. They didn't add anything to my message. So when Paul had the private meeting with the elders and he shared his gospel understanding, the elders were in agreements with Paul. Paul went to them to see if they would be in agreements, and they gave him the right hand of fellowship. They said, you're correct. The Gentiles can be saved by grace through faith in Yeshua without being circumcised. They added nothing to his message. We agree, Paul. And then Paul goes on to explain what the elders saw during the meeting. He first says they added nothing to me, And then he says this, look at verses 7 through 8, let's read them again. On the contrary, they saw that I, that's Paul, had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. For he who was at work with Peter in the apostleship to the circumcised was also at work with me among the Gentiles. See, the Jerusalem elders saw that Paul's gospel was legitimate. Yahweh and Yeshua were using Paul as a vessel to preach to the Gentiles. But Peter was being used as a vessel to preach to circumcised Israel. 
Now, as I've said before, that doesn't mean Peter never preached to Gentiles, and it doesn't mean that Paul never preached to Israelites. But it's just that Peter's apostleship, his main focus was to circumcision, circumcised Israel. Paul's main focus in his apostleship was to the nations outside of the land of Israel, those that were not circumcised. The same gospel was being taught to both groups, and that gospel was enough to save. Nothing needed to be added to the message of salvation. I want you to notice something else here in verses 7 through 8. I want you to notice how the word Gentiles is used here. It is used interchangeably with uncircumcised. Look at this. Verse 7 contrasts circumcised and uncircumcised. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Notice the contrast. Then look at verse 8. Same contrast, but this time it says, for he who was at work with Peter in the apostleship to the circumcised was also at work with me among the Gentiles. You could put uncircumcised there. That's not what the Greek reads. But you could put uncircumcised there and it would mean the same thing because Gentiles is used interchangeably with uncircumcised. And this further shows the point that I've been making. And that is if you grew up in the nations outside the land of Israel and you were uncircumcised and you didn't learn the Torah from your family as a little child, you were not considered part of Israel. You were considered a heathen. It did not matter, brothers and sisters. I think this is where a lot of people get off track on the word Gentiles is because they understand that a lot of the people in Gentile nations may have been divorced and scattered Israelites in those nations. And that is true. But when they were divorced and scattered into those nations, they became known as Gentiles. Non-Israelites. Uncircumcised. Why do you think they were divorced and scattered? Because they refused to obey the laws of Yahweh. And so when they got scattered into the nations, they became amalgamated into those nations and they were no longer considered to be part of Israel. And these are some of the people, not the only people, these are some of the people that the Apostle Paul is taking his message to in Galatia and Cappadocia and Ephesus and throughout all of Asia Minor. Not just scattered Israelites, but that's part of who he was preaching to. But those scattered Israelites were considered heathens. They were considered uncircumcised heathens because they were not in the Torah. They were not in covenant with Yahweh. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 further shows this point. It says, When James, Cephas, and John recognized as pillars acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So James, Peter, and John would preach to the circumcised Israelites and Paul and Barnabas would go to the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, the heathens. Now, what's interesting is I just read this from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, but if you read it in the King James Version, it does not say Gentile in verse 9. You know what it says? It says heathen. We'll go to the circumcised, Paul, and you and Barnabas go to the heathen. That's the same in the King James Version. That's the same in Galatians 1.16 and Galatians 3.8. The King James Version translates that as heathen. Why? Because that's who they were. They were heathens. They were not Torah observant. They were uncircumcised. 2 Corinthians 11.26 also uses the word heathen there in the King James. Heathen is being contrasted with circumcised. In other words, you've got two groups of people and that's it. You've got circumcised Israelites that grew up in the Torah 
They go to the synagogue every Sabbath. They go to the Jerusalem for the three feasts of the year. They serve Yahweh. Not all of them are repentant. Not all of them are, have salvation. But all of them go through those motions and those rituals. And then you've got the other group, and that's heathens. Uncircumcised heathens. Paul's primary message was to the heathens. Repent of your sin. Believe in Yeshua, the one whom Yahweh sent. And you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. You say, Brother Matthew, don't you believe that those heathen Gentiles would grow in the laws of Yahweh and be taught the laws of Yahweh? Sure. Absolutely. Not all at once. Not all at once. There were four things that James, the bishop of Jerusalem, James made the final decision in Acts 15. And he gave them four things to begin with. And then they would come to the synagogue on the Sabbath and they would hear Moses be taught and they would learn the Torah. But they were saved from their sins way back here by simply trusting that the Messiah died for their sins. Brothers and sisters, that's not a new message. That message goes back further than Joshua, the son of Nun. That message goes back further than prophet Moses. It goes all the way back to a, a brother named Brother Abraham, who in Genesis 15, when Yahweh told him, Don't worry, Abraham. I know you think you're not going to have a child with Sarah. I know you think that your servant Eleazar is going to have to be the heir of your inheritance. But don't worry, Abraham. I'm going to give you a seed as multitudinous as the stars of the heaven and as the sands of the sea. And it's going to be somebody that comes out of your own loins, Abraham. And the Bible says that Abraham believed Yahweh. And Yahweh credited it, what? His belief to him as righteousness. You know what that means when it says Abraham believed Yahweh? It means he trusted what Yahweh told him. Yahweh gave him a promise and Abraham said, Okay, I'm going to trust you, Father. And Yahweh saw the belief, the faith that Abraham had. And Yahweh credited that faith, that belief to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of Yahweh. And do you know when Abraham believed that and he was righteous by his faith, do you know that he was not circumcised? Hello. This is an old teaching. People act like this is something new that Paul made up in the book of Galatians. And we can't believe Paul. He's a false apostle because he doesn't believe in circumcision. Listen, Paul believed in circumcision. He was circumcised the eighth day. Paul never taught the Judahites that had grew up in the Torah to not circumcise their children. Paul was simply saying the Galatian Gentiles can be saved by grace through faith in the Messiah in the same way that Father Abraham was saved when he believed Yahweh and trusted in what Yahweh had said. So it's an old teaching and Paul's saying, you're the guys that have gotten off track. I'm going back to Bereshit. I'm going back to Genesis to teach you this salvation by faith. Hallelujah. So, let's take some more time in verse 9. Here Paul speaks of the Jerusalem elders as the pillars. I mentioned some of my elders. Brother Arnold's one. Brother Jerry's one. The Hebrew word for elder refers to the grayness in the color of the beard. That's what it means. It's interchangeable there. And I see both of them as pillars in this congregation. And Paul saw James and Cephas and John as pillars. They held up the congregation. They were some of the 
first believers in Yeshua of Nazareth as the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh. Yehov and Kepha and Yehanan, original followers of the Messiah. They knew Him personally. You ever wonder what it would be like to know Him personally? Now, I'm not saying we don't know Him personally. We haven't seen, but yet we believe. Amen? I'm all for that. But oh, to touch the tassel of His robe. <laughs> oh, to kiss His beard. Oh, to have Him hug you and grasp you around the neck. Oh, to have Him say, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. I read it in the Bible, Brother Jerry, I believe it. But oh, to have Him standing in front of me and saying, Brother Matthew, your sins are forgiven. You trusted in me. I can imagine what the criminal on the torture stake beside Yeshua when Yeshua was impaled on that torture stake. What did that criminal feel when he said, Don't worry. I say unto you today, you will be with me in paradise. Me? I haven't done anything to deserve going to paradise. But he believed in the Messiah. He trusted in the Messiah. Oh, to know the Messiah personally like James and Cephas and John. Those three men are part of the foundation that the assembly is built upon. Remember, Paul says we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Yeshua the Messiah being the chief stone of the corner. That's in Ephesians 2 verse 20. Brother T.J. will be getting to that one soon. Well, those three men are part of that apostolic foundation. And this is why, brothers and sisters, this is not my message, but this is why I don't believe that there exists any apostles and prophets in the exact same way that existed back then. It's because that foundation has already been laid. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. There's some special men that Yahweh ordained, Yahweh handpicked. There's also a chief cornerstone that Yahweh laid. And there's not, not another stone, not another foundation. These three men gave the right hand of fellowship to what Paul and Barnabas had been preaching among the Gentiles. So catch this. They agreed with Paul. They said, Paul, keep on keeping on. Do what you're doing. And we'll keep doing what we're doing. We'll preach the gospel to circumcised Israel. Notice, circumcised Israel, they needed to hear the gospel too. Why? Because they were transgressors too. (laughs) They needed to hear the good news about faith in Yeshua too. That didn't mean they needed to stop keeping the Torah. The Torah is holy, just, and good. But it meant they needed to confess their sin. Why do you think Yahweh gave them the Day of Atonement back in the in the Old Covenant, in the Tanakh. If they could have their sins forgiven by just keeping the law, why did they need an atonement day? Why did they need a day to pray to ask for forgiveness of their sins every year? It's because a lot of them, the humble Israelites, recognized even though we keep Torah, even though we follow this way of life, we still don't match up to the perfection of Almighty Yahweh and His majesty. So James, Cephas, and John didn't go to him and say, hey, all that Torah stuff, we don't have to worry about that no more. No, that's, that wasn't their message. They went and preached the faith in Yeshua. Believe in the Messiah and you'll be forgiven. And then Paul, he had the apostleship to the Gentiles. Faith in Yeshua. Believe in the Messiah. You'll be forgiven for your sins. So Paul received the apostolic seal of approval from the elders. And you know what this means? We here today, we have to agree with the decision that the elders made. Because these are the top elders. You don't get any more top elders other than our elder brother, Yeshua. You don't get any other top elders than James, Peter, and John. And they made a decision as apostles of the Messiah that what Paul was doing was right. They had the authority to bind and loose and they had the authority 
and the power of the Messiah to make ruling decisions on earth. And whatever they bound on earth or loosed on earth will be bound or loosed in heaven. And this is what those elders ruled. Those elders ruled that Gentile heathens could be forgiven for their sin solely by faith in the Messiah apart from physical circumcision. That's what they ruled. And so we have to submit to their eldership because they're above us. Now, what's funny here is that I've heard people say they don't believe that Paul is a genuine apostle. I've heard people talk very badly about Paul. They say he's the false apostle. His writings shouldn't be in the Bible. One woman I talked to said she ripped out Paul's writings out of her Bible. But as a leader in this congregation here, I would counsel you to avoid those people. I have seen nothing but rotten fruit come off of that tree of the anti-Paul movement. I've even seen people who started in that direction. They rejected Paul and eventually they denied the Messiah. And then they started trusting in the works of the law to justify them. Not as a way of life like we teach. We teach the Torah as a way of life, how we should obey. They started trusting in their own works to justify them. And there's a problem with that and that's that they're sinners. (laughs) They're not perfect. They're not unblemished. I read of one lady who started with the anti-Paul doctrine and kept going until she eventually became an atheist. So this is what I would admonish you. I would admonish you that if any one of these anti-Paul people comes to you, you bring them to me, bring them to Brother Arnold, tell them you want to sit down and talk about it with an elder at your congregation. And you can sit in on the discussion and you can add to and that's fine. But I would admonish you to do that. Say, okay, I want you to come talk to an elder about this. And we'll discuss it. And then you will begin to see the error of their ways. Rotten fruit. Avoid them. Wolves. But my point here in Galatians 2 verse 9 is that the Jerusalem elders, they didn't reject Paul. See, if somebody's going to reject Paul, then to be consistent, they're going to have to reject James, Peter, and John. Because James, Peter, and John said, we're shaking the right hand we give you our seal of approval as the apostles of the Lord. You see this here in Galatians 2, you see it in Acts 15, and you see it in Acts 21. The elders agreed with Paul's gospel to the Gentiles. And it's also clear that when you examine all of the evidence that Paul never taught the Judahites to stop practicing circumcision or Torah observance. That was a rumor that was going around about Paul, that he was teaching the Judahites among the nations to stop circumcising their children and James says, that's a, that's a lie. We have these laws that we want you to obey and get in on so that everybody can see that you walk orderly and keep the law and all these things that are going around are nothing but rumors about you, Paul. Paul never taught that. That wasn't Paul's message. Paul simply taught the Gentiles that they could be saved by grace through faith, just like Father Abraham. No works of the law added to salvation. The Judahites were saved from their sins by grace through faith in the Messiah. And so were the uncircumcised heathens by grace through faith in the Messiah. The Messiah that Yahweh sent. That's the only plan of salvation that exists. Yeshua prayed the night before He was betrayed. In John 17, He said, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true Elohim, and Yeshua whom you have sent. Anything else is a distortion of the gospel. Anytime somebody tries to add any kind of work in, they're making you want to trust in that work instead of trust and believe in Yahweh, His way of salvation. 
Now, we've got one more verse here that I want to cover before we end today, verse 10. That'll close out one section here in Galatians 2. And then the next time I teach, Brother Jerry and Brother TJ will be teaching next week, but the next time I teach next moon, we're going to start covering Galatians 2, 11 through 21, which is very exciting to me because that's a very enjoyable text to cover where Paul actually confronts Peter to his face because Peter was deviating from the truth of the gospel. We'll talk about that later. But Paul says in verse 10 that the elders did ask after the meeting, they asked that he and Barnabas would remember the poor. And Paul said, we made every effort to do that. Now, why bring this up? Now, we could just say that and we could talk about giving to the poor in general. And giving to the poor in general is a good thing. But that I don't believe that's what the elders were asking Paul to do, just giving to the poor in general. I think the elders had in mind a specific group of poor. And I think he was talking about the poor saints at Jerusalem. Us. Don't forget about us, Paul. Many of us have sold all of our possessions. And we have laid them at the feet of the apostles. And we have all things in common. We live very frugally and there's a famine that's hit our area. And we're poor. Don't forget about us. The mother church. Don't forget about where this all began in Jerusalem. Remember, that's why Paul and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem to start with, to bring famine relief to the congregation of the Messiah in Jerusalem. That frugal congregation, that poor congregation. And it is these poor that the elders asked Paul and Barnabas to remember. In other words, they were saying to Paul and Barnabas, preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That's where Yahweh is working through you at in your apostleship, Paul and Barnabas. But don't forget about the mother assembly here in Jerusalem. Don't forget about the earliest disciples and followers of the Messiah. Don't forget about where it all started. If you make notes in your Bible here in Galatians 2.10, beside it write Acts 11.27-30. That's a parallel text. And then also write Romans 15. I want you to turn to Romans 15. Romans 15, 25 through 27. If you write in your Bible, I make notes in mine. If you don't, that's fine too. Romans 15, 25 through 27 is parallel to the remembering of the poor. Look at this in Romans 15, 25. It says, Paul writes, Now, however, I am traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints... For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and they are indebted to them. Why? Look at this, verse 27. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to the Judahites in material needs. In other words, the uncircumcised heathens received salvation in Messiah that was preached first to who? Judah. And if they received in their spiritual benefits, then they're obligated to bless the Judahites with material benefits. That's talking about silver, food, clothing, things that are sent to the poor saints at Jerusalem. And here Paul, in Romans 15, Paul is making good on his promise. Paul was asked to remember the poor which is in, in the Hebrew Bible, this, it always means hold this sacred. It's, it's like in Exodus 20 verse 8 where he says, remember the Sabbath 
He's not just saying, think about the Sabbath. Yeah, I remember it when it was given back there. No, he's saying, remember it to keep it holy. Remember to honor it. Remember to sanctify the Sabbath. And that's what the elders are asking Paul. Remember the poor. Don't forget about us. Take care of us. Watch out for us. And everywhere that Paul would preach among the churches in the nations in these different areas, including Ephesus and also in Galatia, he would take up a collection and he would go and bring it to the poor saints that lived in Jerusalem that got hit by the famine. Do you know this is actually what 1 Corinthians 16 is talking about? Anybody ever gotten a discussion with somebody about 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2? Where it sounds like, if you read it with the 21st century mindset, it sounds like Paul's passing the offering plate on Sunday morning. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, where he says, let each of you lay by him in store on the first day of the week, that there be no gatherings when I come. A lot of times people just read that part. That's not talking about passing an offering plate on Sunday morning. It is talking about the first day of the week. Of course, the first day of the week by Yahweh's biblical calendar, biblical time keeping. Okay? And the collection that was to be made was each man at his house. And on, after, after that man worked for six days in the previous week and kept the Sabbath, then what he would do is on the first day of the week when he got his affairs in order, he would set something aside as Yahweh had prospered him that previous week. He would set it aside so that when Paul and Barnabas got there and preached to them, they could give that to Paul and Barnabas when they met with them as a congregation. They could give it and Paul and Barnabas would take it to the poor saints at Jerusalem. So we're not talking about Sunday morning. We're not talking about passing an offering plate. And we're not talking about paying a preacher. Hello? We're talking about giving to the poor. The poor saints of Jerusalem. I'm not fearful at all to tell you that if you give to this congregation, part of your giving should include giving to somebody who is poor. That's part of your giving. If you take 10% out of your check every week or however you do that, set some of it aside to bless somebody that's poor, Yahweh will bless you. That's what's going on in 1 Corinthians 16. So Paul was asked by the elders, don't forget about us here in Jerusalem. We're the home base, Paul. We're the mother congregation. We're the ones that walked with Yeshua. We, we brushed elbows with the Master. Don't forget about us. Don't forget about the poor, Paul. I know you're preaching to the Gentiles. That's where your apostleship is. Don't forget about us. Remember us. And Paul did. Paul was righteous. Paul was law observant. He was Torah observant. He never forgot those poor saints in the Messiah. Doesn't the Bible just come alive when you start digging into it and reading things in context? Doesn't the Bible just come alive when you start studying books of the Bible as a whole and not just snippets? Not just little pieces? But you've got to go back and do your homework. You've got to understand the culture of that time. You've got to understand the history of that time. You've got to understand the happenings of that time and the society of that time. And you've got to get into the mind the best that you can are the sandals of the author and the readers of the original epistles. And when you do that, what you'll do is you'll be honoring the text as it was originally written. Because even though Galatians was written for me and you, Galatians was not written to me and you. It was written to somebody back then. In order to understand what it means for me and you, we've got to first understand what it meant to the Galatians. A lot of the things that was going on there, as we're seeing in Galatians, is not necessarily the same thing that's going on here in this congregation. 
but we still learn principles and teachings from this epistle. One of the great things that we're learning here that Brother Matthew's eyes is being opened up to more and more is that we're not to add anything to the good news of the Messiah. He's enough all by Himself. He's enough. Yahweh is the one. As Brother Arnold says, He made a perfect Son, an unblemished sacrifice. And the Bible says that in the King James it says God was in Christ or or Elohim was in the Messiah reconciling the world back to Himself. I believe that. I hope that you do. This was Almighty Yahweh's doing. The Father, He's the one that ordained all of this. The Father is the one that conforms us to the image of His dear Son. The more that you become conformed to the image of the Messiah, you should get on your knees in the morning and thank Yahweh. Thank you, Father, for conforming me a little bit more to the image of your Son. But anything that you do or anything that you accomplish, that doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. The gospel is about what Yahweh has done for us in and through Yeshua, not about what we later do for Yahweh. And there are some things we are to do for Yahweh. Amen? Even the Gentiles, James and Peter said, we're going to give the four necessary things right at the beginning. So there's some things that we must do. There's some things we need to do. That's not the gospel. The gospel was these uncircumcised Gentiles, they're part of the faith. They believed in the Messiah. Just like Abraham. We're going to get into Father Abraham in Galatians 3. We're going to talk about Father Abraham. We'll pick this back up next time when I teach on Galatians 2, 11 through 21. I want you to do this as we read in the Torah. Take some time. Read that block. Galatians 2, 11 through 21. Read it once a day or once every other day or whatever. Read that block of Scripture because the next time I teach on it, you'll get more out of it if you're already a little bit familiar with it. Meditate on it and, uh, and ponder upon it and you'll be blessed. I love the Word of Yahweh. Amen, I feel like I'm part of the best assembly on the planet. I love everybody here. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Precious Yahweh, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your Son to die for us. Thank you for giving your Son to pay the penalty for our transgressions. Help us to trust you. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we feel like We've got to add something to your son and trust in something more than him. Yahweh, I pray we would not trust in ourselves, anything we do, or anybody that we think we may be. Paul said if anybody thinks he has confidence, he could have more confidence in the flesh than any of us. I pray that all of our confidence will be removed off of whatever it's on and placed only on what you have done through Yeshua for our salvation. Yahweh, only you can cause that to to take place. Help us to trust like Father Abraham trusted. It seemed impossible to him, but he trusted. Help us to trust. I pray these things through the Messiah.